Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for you. Uh, we give thanks for the Father that uh, this is the day that you have made, and I pray that we will continue to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm so thankful for an opportunity that I get to come before my sisters and brothers and talk about the Word of God. There's nothing better than that, Father. So I give you praise and honor for all that you are. Thank you for already for the sweet worship that's gone up as a, as a, uh, just a, hmm, great incense to you, Father. So I, I just so thankful for that, uh, those talented folks who uh, did uh, what you called them to do. And I pray, Father, that as always, that your word would be rightly divided, that we would not add anything or take anything away. Our desire is to serve you all the days of our lives and to serve you with a pure heart, a great heart, Father, because we serve a great God. So have your way in this place today, Father, and may every eye, every ear, every heart be open to receive what you have for us today, Father. Not just for some, but for everyone in the sound of my voice, for those who are sitting here in person or those in pixel land, Father, I just pray that you would touch them, you would reach them, Father. Not because of this vessel, but because of what you have for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today, this morning, uh, turn your Bible and your apps to uh, Daniel chapter 5. Daniel 5. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how many verses, just because. So Daniel 5, that's all you need to know for now. And in this particular instance, what, what we've done is title it, the, the handwriting on the wall. And as we're going through this, uh, I pray that you bear in mind that the handwriting on the wall wasn't just in Daniel's time wasn't just in Nebuchadnezzar's time or Belshazzar's time. The handwriting on the wall is in our time, right here, right now. Uh, the things that we're seeing, the things that we're hearing, the things that we're going through, uh, I just pray that we be mindful that the Lord is always working. Even when things don't go the way that we would like for them to go, he's always working. And uh, just uh, stand. And that's all you can do is just continue to stand. But most of all, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Repeat. Repeat. <laughs> so continue to pray. Uh, you know, yes, there's so much going on. A lot of us are overwhelmed. We're being manipulated by the media in so many ways. And what uh, the Lord has put on some of our hearts is, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. And uh, it's, it's, there's nothing to indicate that these things are going to be any less. So we need to be prayed up. We need to be spirit-filled as we'll talk about as we go through how the Lord worked in Daniel's life. So, uh, so we'll get started. We'll, we'll dig in. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar, king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of thousands. I just want to clarify a couple of things before we go any further, and that, that uh, it's about the names. Uh, if you read this, you will re realize that there's two Belshazzars. They don't spell the same. Belshazzar and Belshazzar, they mean the same thing. But it's important that we keep those separate. And the other one is you're going to, depending on what version you're reading, you're going to see the word father. And Father is used very loosely in this chapter. Uh, and you'll understand why as we go along, because it referred to uh, 
Belshazzar and Nebuchadnezzar as his father. But father was used the way we use the words cousin. And in some cases, the way we use the word Christian, very loosely. It doesn't have the real meaning all the time. So just be aware of that as we go through this. You'll, you'll see, it'll make sense once we get into it. But just be careful with those names. And uh, these events, uh, relative to verse 1, these events occurred in 539 B.C. over two decades after Belshazzar's grandfather, your Bible may say father, uh, and we're not going to change that as we read the scripture because it says add nothing or take anything away. So I'm going to be obedient to that. But the interpretation in this context is grandfather. In, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, after his death, in verses 2, 11, and, uh, and 18, mentioned Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father. In this case, father is used loosely. Nebuchadnezzar was actually Belshazzar's grandfather. Belshazzar's father was Nabonidus, and his mother was Nebuchadnezzar's daughter, which you'll see later on when it refers to the queen. So we'll go on. This, this king, whose name is similar to Daniel's, is slightly different. Both Belshazzar and Belshazzar means Bel, protect the king. King Belshazzar is about to be conquered by the Medo-Persian army. And when it talks about he made a great feast for the thousands of his lords and drank wine in verse 1, this lavish feast took place while the armies were in full view of the uh, partiers. Even though the army was outside ready, they had already seized the kingdom and they were outside, yet Belshazzar took an opportunity to establish this lavish party. And this shows sheer arrogance on Belshazzar's part. Perhaps he thought the city was impregnable. Nebuchadnezzar had built the city to withstand any siege. The city wall was 15 feet square, constructed of brick, 300 feet high, and wide enough for four chariots to travel side by side around the city wall. He had supplies and grains to last for years. And this banquet could have been in defiance to the enemy on the outside. You can't touch us. We've got this, this wall around us that you can't get through. Now, you'll see as we go on later that when the Lord has a plan, you can't stop it. No matter what it is, no matter how we look at it, how we view it, he can't be stopped if he has a plan, if it's in his will. Verse 2, while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple which was been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Verse 3, then they brought the gold vessel that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. The problem here is that those vessels were put aside, stored in honor of God. Belshazzar had no regard for the Lord and Savior. He had no regard for the true, true and living God. So he's saying they're just basic wine vessels, liquor vessels, whatever they were drinking at that time. So he had no regard for the things of the Lord. Now, when I read this, I was thinking Nebuchadnezzar went through uh, seven years of being literally a beast. The Lord took him out of his kingdom for seven years and he was in the field eating grass with oxen and a cattle. 
Now, Belshazzar had witnessed this, so I say, why would he do this knowing that the potential for him ended up the same way? And then I thought about myself. Happens often. Uh, I turned away for seven years. From the age of 19 to 26, I turned away because the world offered me something better. At least I thought they did. So I thought, you know, who am I to say that, you know, I've experienced this for myself. And to some, seven years may seem like a short time, but it was a long seven years in retrospect. And some of us are going through that today. And it talks about train up a child in the way he sh she should go and they would not depart from it. And I look at this and I think about uh, Belshazzar and why would he do that? Doesn't he realize what he's subjecting himself to? And again, that's how the mind works because we think that, okay, this is much better for me. This is much better than what my dad taught me, what my mom taught me. I'm having fun. Why should I interrupt that? And in order to serve God, that means I got to give up all these wonderful things that I'm doing, all these things I'm enjoying. So we have a hard time with that. And, and while he tasted the wine, uh, Belshazzar brought the command to the gold and silver vessels. And we have to understand, under the influence of alcohol, the king called for the vessels which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. The celebration was designed to boost morale and break the feelings of doom. Because at this time, the Medo-Persian army had Babylon under siege. They were outside the walls just waiting to take over, just looking for a way to get at it. And they did. The Lord arranged it. Nebuchadnezzar had learned to praise and honor God. Belshazzar knew this. Yet, he deliberately defied and profaned God. Anything new under the sun? Proverbs 29.1 says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. So we're never far, far away enough from God that he can't change our lives. We're never far away from God enough where he wants to let us go. But it comes a point where he just says, have at it. If that's what you think you want to do, if that's how you think you want to live, then go ahead. It's a bad place to be in, I can tell you from experience. And a lot of sitting in this room now know what I'm talking about. They've seen the hardship. They've seen the error of their ways. The brother in the back is raising his hands that, yeah, brother, I know what you're talking about. And I'm sure a lot of you do too, how we turn away from him. He never turned away from us. We turn away from him and we suffer the consequences of doing that. Let's be careful. Verse four, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. And this ritual was a call for their gods to deliver them. They knew they were in dire straits. They knew that they were going to be attacked. It was just a matter of when. They knew that, so they were praying that their gods would deliver them, the pagan gods. And in Babylon, they had many gods. Like America today, we have plenty of gods. We've set up gods just for our own particular purpose, our own personal need or desire. Danger. The king had no regard for the true and living God. He believed his gods were superior, don't we? Don't we look, look at those things that we worship and think they're superior? I don't have to really be ashamed of what I'm doing because my God is okay with this. My God is okay with me having kegs 
in the basement of the church. My God is okay with me having a concubine. My God is okay with me using foul language. My God is okay with me abusing my body with drugs and alcohol. So that's why I'm going to honor this God as opposed to the God that you guys serve. Too many restrictions. I don't want to know about it. And this was a crowning insert to God. And these, these Babylonians, they veil his blasphemy in the name of religion. Religion, a dangerous word, my friends. Dangerous word. What is religion? Are you religious? The answer is yes, you are. Religious about what? They're the ones who don't believe in God today who call themselves religious. There are religious systems that said all you have to do is be a good person. And that's what the people believe. That's all you need to do, just be good. And now the scripture says, and I'm more inclined to believe what the scripture says, that there is none good. No, not one. That's what the scripture says. So when they say they're good, and you were to ask them, that's what they're taught. That's what they believed all their lives. I've never done all these horrible things that you guys talk about in your Ten Commandments. I've never done any of that. So I'm okay. I'm good. None good. Verse 5. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that had wrote. Babylonians' hands had taken God's vessels, which he's mentioned twice already, and held them in contempt to dishonor and challenge God. Challenge God. What's wrong with that statement? When you say you're going to challenge God, you've got to keep in mind that you're outnumbered. It's one-on-one. -on -one. So you, you lose. You challenge God, you are going to lose. And they had, he, he wanted to dishonor and challenge God. Now this hand that controls all people, the hand, the hand that controls all people and which none can restrain, challenged them. God's answer to that challenge was clear. He made it very clear. He made it very clear to me in that day. He's making it very clear to you what you went through, what you're going through. He's working it out. Biggest issue here. Trust, obedience, and those are words that we don't take to very well. Trust and obedience. Do you trust him? Will you obey him? And, and the thing is, we say, well, I can. It's not a matter of, as uh, one of the, uh, the scholars used to say, it's not a matter of do's and don'ts. It's just a matter of wills and won'ts. And you can say, well, I do trust him. But the question is, will you trust him? Will you trust him with everything? Well, the way things are going now, I need to take a stand. I don't advocate being idle. I don't advocate being passive. I advocate praying and see what the Lord has called you to. Not only what he's called you to, what he's called you from and there's a lot of struggles going on even here today in this very room. Physical issues, spiritual issues. And we get to pray for these people on a regular basis. Some of them believe in prayer. 
Some of them only when it works to the way that they want it to. You're in a very dangerous position when you're uh, going with a preconceived notion about how the Lord's going to work. You're setting yourself up for either surprise or disappointment. And actually, it shouldn't be either. If I pray that the Lord would deliver me, why am I surprised when he does? Did I trust him? If I'm praying that the Lord would deliver me in a certain way, why am I disappointed that he didn't do it the way I thought he should? So when we pray, trust that he will answer the prayer according to his will and his will alone. Now, uh, relative to uh, chapter 5, verse 5, excuse me, uh, in Daniel 4.35, it says, All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. God does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one. No one. Who are you? Who are you to challenge the almighty God? Don't you know he has the advantage of seeing the end from the beginning? Don't you know that? Don't you know that he knows your heart in every situation? Don't you know that even though you're speaking words, he's reading your heart? He's looking for sincerity. Does this person really believe that they're praying to the Almighty God? Or do you look at this as a genie in the bottle? Grant my wish. Give me what I want. And then all is well. No, it's not. There are people sitting here today can tell you that they prayed for things and they got it. That things that they want to own. And as it turned out, those things were owning them there are people who are sitting here now who can confirm that. And I know that for a fact. Allow his will to be done. When you pray, your will be done. We don't. We don't. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, I want. Lord, I want. Lord, I want. If you don't deliver it to me, I'll find another God. I'll find a God who has no eyes. I'll find a God who has no ears. I'll find a God who can't move, and that God I would praise. I don't need a God who doesn't obey my wishes. Verse 6. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that his joints and his hips were loose, and his knees knocked against each other. King, king Belshazzar was radically changed and became a sober man, having come suddenly out of a drunken stupor. Some of you know what a drunken stupor is. Belshazzar had arranged this banquet as a moral builder. He wanted to create courage in the hearts of his people, but he was completely frustrated. It's not working the way I thought it would. The opposite emotion was producing him. He became a poor example to the others. He is so overwhelmed with fear that he could barely stand or speak. His knees are knocking. His words are just... Babel. Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. 
When, when Belshazzar regained his composure, he called the wise men to come to his aid. He offered a great reward to anyone who could interpret the handwriting on the wall. His father did the same thing. Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, same thing. They did the same thing. They had, they had confidence in these astrologers, these Chalcedines, these soothsayers. And again, as archaic that, that may seem at that time, there are people now who put stock into fortune tellers. They put stock into soothsayers. They, they put stock into these prophets and prophetesses who can tell them the future. You want to see what's coming up? Look at the word of God. He'll let you know. What's coming up? What's on the, what's on the horizon? He'll let you know. In your life, in the life of the people that you love, he'll let you know. And he will not cause you to give up on anyone. Now, he may do that as we can talk about with Pharaoh, as we can talk about with Nebuchadnezzar and a few others. He allowed them to just go at it. But they didn't want to hear what he had to say. Uh, when he called, when uh, Belshazzar called these men uh, to interpret the handwriting on the wall, these men had no power, no power to interpret the dreams, yet they deceived the rulers into believing they did. Deceived. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was in a position where he can call, we can call him an elect. Belshazzar was in a position where we could call them elect. But the word of God says, even the elect, if possible, can be deceived. Now, this is not scriptural, but it's a life experience. The problem with deception is you don't know you're being deceived. After the fact, oh, if I had known, if I had only known that that person was trying to deceive me, I would have never done it. And if you want to get an understanding of that, back to Genesis. If Eve had only known, but again, it's deception. And it's always 2020 hindsight. Verse 8. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. And this is the third recorded uh, failure of the wise men of Babylon. So you would ask yourself, if this was the third failure, why would they continue to seek their guidance? Why would they continue to seek them? And we do that. We do that in a good sense with our doctors. We do this in a bad sense with our politicians. We continue to seek advice from those who know squat. <laughs> but we continue to do that, and sometimes it's because we don't have any other recourse. So we just continue to seek them. The first time Daniel in chapter 2, Daniel 2, they could not tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream. The second time, Daniel in chapter 4, they could not interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And the third time in Daniel 5, they could not read the handwriting on the wall for Belshazzar. Each time they demonstrated that they were not able to intrude into the domain of God. Yet they kept them around. And what's going to be ironic, even though Belshazzar kept these astrologers, these Chaldeans, these soothsayers at his disposal, he stuck Daniel in the back room because Daniel represented God and uh, Belshazzar doesn't want to have anything to do with this God stuff. 
just like some of our friends that we encounter and family that we encounter today. Yeah, I know that works for you. That's all well and good. I tried it. It doesn't work. You know, that's you. That's your God. I don't have any real need for your God. And so Belshazzar is doing that right now. He put Daniel in retirement for a while. Yet God. And without God's help, the experts again fail. But God's man Daniel would not. Chapter 2 and chapter 4, you can read where God used him mightily. He set him up as he did with Joseph and several others. Verse 9, then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His continent was changed and his lords were astonished. Belshazzar was at his wit's end. What do I do now? My, my, my peeps can't interpret you know, what, what's going on with the handwriting on the wall. Uh, you know, and I, I, I want to believe them, but somehow I don't get the impression they're giving me the straight skinny. So he has trouble believing them. He has trouble trust, trusting them, and rightfully so. They have not come through yet, yet they're still here. His wise men were astonished not only of the handwriting, but at the great change in, Neb- in Belshazzar. They were, they were just astonished. This guy, you know, it was all about drinking wine and getting drunk and, and doing ungodly things. And now I see something changing, and I don't understand it. Verse 10, the queen that we mentioned earlier, because of the words uh, of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. We've heard this before with Nebuchadnezzar. Do not let your uh, thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. And she said, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, Your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Nebuchadnezzar made him over all of that. Yet, Belshazzar went back to the way things were back in the day, as we say. Verse 12, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, Solving riddles and explaining enigmas was found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. This is the queen speaking, and hoping and praying that Daniel would heed her prayers, her requests, her advice. The queen, having heard of the strange handwriting on the wall, came into the banqueting hall to inform Belshazzar that there was a man in his kingdom by the name of Daniel, a spirit-filled man who could interpret the writing. At this point, Daniel had been retired and set aside. God always has a remnant. Always. There's never a time when he does not. He has a remnant in this, this building And we get to experience that on a regular basis, how he's using that remnant to encourage us, how he's using that remnant to encourage us to prayer, praying, seeking his face and everything. And we're learning. We haven't gotten it. We haven't nailed it yet because just certain parts of that sin nature that 
There's just certain things we don't want to let go of. I want to be in control. I want to determine the outcome of things that are happening around me. I don't want to submit. I will not have this man to rule over me. We've heard this one. And that's where, that's where Belshazzar is, is right now. And the queen is, is trying to give godly advice. The question is, will he heed it? The prayer warriors around us are trying to give godly advice. The question is, will we heed it? The Lord is speaking to you. Well, he doesn't speak to me. Yes, he does. He's speaking to you. The question is, are you listening? And there's one thing to hear and another thing to listen. And there is a vast difference between the two. Even though we say that doesn't make any sense. It does. I hear you. I'm listening, but I don't hear you. I'm listening, but I don't hear you. The queen, having heard of the strange handwriting on the wall, came into the banquet hall and spoke. The queen, uh, with a godly heart, trusted that Daniel would interpret the writing. She and Nebuchadnezzar had come to the knowledge of the true and living God. The queen knew who God was. Nebuchadnezzar who knew who God was. Belshazzar had a different idea. Rather than the single God that you worship, I got lots of gods. So I can go to them anytime I'm ready. This queen, like Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, had confidence in Daniel, and she expressed uh, that in verses 11 and 12. And that's when she started acknowledging the fact that Daniel was a godly man, and Daniel could interpret those dreams for Belshazzar. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king and the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you the Daniel who was one of the captives from Judah, who my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the spirit of God is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Daniel was called and brought face to face with Belshazzar. Although Belshazzar had heard of Daniel, he had never seen fit to use him. He had never seen fit to use his services. Belshazzar had not followed in the footsteps of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted nothing to do with the living and true God because this was a last resort. These guys that I, I have brought alongside me can't interpret it. I'm out of options. So I think I'll seek God. And that's what we do in prayer. We utilize every single option before we consider praying. Prayer should be the first thing we do. No matter what. Doesn't matter. Well, that's a, a minor detail. God's not concerned about that. Um, Got to challenge that one. I'm concerned about the very hairs on your head. And no offense to those who are shaven. But... but, but he cares. He does care about that. And so there's nothing that's too small. There's nothing that's too large. He wants to know. He wants to hear from us. Daniel was called and brought face to face with Although Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, excuse me, folks. I've spent a lot of weeks in Nebuchadnezzar and it hasn't gone yet. 
We just made the transition from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar, and uh, I haven't made it yet. But anyway, so we'll keep it straight. Belshazzar had not followed in the footsteps of his grandfather, and he didn't want to have anything to do with the gods. So he, he knew that uh, Daniel was a last resort, so he forced him to call. He, he forced himself to call Daniel from retirement. Verse 15 says, Now the wise men, the astrologers, had been brought in before me, that they, sh they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. 16, And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He's offering all of these things to Daniel. He's offering those to, to the other guys as well, but they're not coming through. So let me offer to Daniel. Daniel was not impressed. He was not amused. Belshazzar reminded Daniel of the failure of the wise men to interpret the writing on the wall. He attempts to flatter Daniel and, re and repeats the reward he is offering to the one who can deliver or decipher the handwriting. Again, he offers to make Daniel the third ruler of the kingdom. Belshazzar was co-leader with his father, Nebadonis, who was out of the city on a military campaign at that time. And the third ruler would be Daniel, next in rank to Belshazzar. So he's offering him that. He's offering him the purple, which is a, a royal color. He's offering him the chain around the neck, which basically says, I'm important. I'm somebody. I'm a noble. He's offering all of these things. And Daniel says, I'll pass. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Now, because the king was fearful, from Daniel's standpoint, that was an insult. How dare you challenge the king? I'm offering these things to you. You should be glad. You should bow down and say, thank you. Thank you, king. Daniel says, no, thank you. I know where my words come from. I know where my, where my crowns are going to be given or who they're going to be given by. So Daniel refused. And only the king's fear caused him to ignore the insult. Daniel agreed to interpret the writing in spite of that. I'll do it. Verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he, uh, whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up, and whomever he wished, he put down. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So that's what's happening here with Nebuchadnezzar. I don't like the way you looked at me. Take his head off. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and they took him, his glory from him. 21. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass-like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever 
he chooses. 22, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Although you knew all this, and he was aware, he was aware of the true and living God. He knew all this. Verse 23, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Wasn't that tried before by a gentleman by the name of Lucifer? I will lift myself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels, continue in verse 23, they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Do our gods see? Do our gods hear? Do our gods know? Does your God see? Does your God hear? Does your God know? Ask yourself that. And let that be the determination of choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's only for two reasons. Reason number one, we don't know any better. Reason number two, we don't know any better. Twenty-four. Uh, actually, let me back up. I'll reread twenty-three. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heavens. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk from the wine of God. And you have praised the gods of silver and iron and wood and stone, which do not see here. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. All my ways? Yeah. All your ways. Even the breath, the very breath that I take? Yeah. Absolutely. Even the very breath that you take. Even that God, Belshazzar, you have not glorified. Which God do you glorify? The God of your own making? Did you create this God? Did you shape this God that you serve? I know some who did, who have. They're no longer with us, but that doesn't mean that God took them before their time. They were on a path to destruction, and God saw it fit to save them from themselves. So he took them home. Verse 24. Then the fingers of a hand were sent from him, and his writing was written. Now, Daniel delivers a powerful message to Belshazzar before he interprets the writing. And uh, this just reminds me of when we get to do funerals, how important it is that we do a message uh, before we get into the basics of the funeral. Because there's some, someone, even if it's one person who needs to hear that, who needs to hear that there's a God who saves we need to hear that. It can't be overdone. There are people sitting here right now who need to hear that because in their world, they're not experiencing the true and living God. And we can't judge. We don't know. God judges the heart. I can look out now and I, I can't see 
any of your hearts. And God knows I don't want to. Some of you guys out there, but uh, it's just that he has a plan for you and you alone. He wants better for you. When we're going through these, these issues, these, these minor afflictions, he wants better for you. He wants better for you and all the ones that you love. He wants better for you. Are you honoring him? It says that God honors those who honor him. Are you honoring the Lord? Not just in this building, not just in this room. Are you honoring him with your life? Because a lot of us, we know how to play church. Very good at it. We've been doing it for years. And some of us, that's what we do. Why are you here? Why do you choose to come to this place on Sunday mornings to listen to what the pastors are talking about, what the, what the Lord has put on their hearts? Why do you do that? Is it ritual? Is it for social, from a social standpoint? Well, I just come so I can hang out with my friends. Well, you can do that at the local gin mill if you choose. You can do that anywhere, but why do you come here? Do you really trust that what the Lord is sending out to you, allowing you to hear? Do you trust that it's for your own good? Are you trusting him? Are you being obedient to him? Back to this. And uh, Daniel informs the king that God has given the kingdom to Nebuchadnezzar. He reminds the king that Nebuchadnezzar was a man of God who no man could question or hinder and whose wishes and desires were the law of the land. But when he had become filled with pride, God humbled him. Daniel reminds Belshazzar of his humiliating experience, of Nebuchadnezzar's humiliating experience. God's going to have your father eating grass for seven years. But here's the thing. God never took away Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Even though Nebuchadnezzar was out of commission for a while, God never took away his kingdom. And the thing that is encouraging to us, when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he proves it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he proved that with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And he reminds uh, the king that uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, whose wishes uh, and desires were the law of the land, but when he had become filled with pride, God humbled him. Uh, Belshazzar was proud and vain. Although he knew Nebuchadnezzar's insanity, Belshazzar had not learned from Nebuchadnezzar's experience. Instead, he used the vessels taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He had mocked God and insulted him. He had rejected the truth. And God destroys those who have known the truth and have refused it. Do you know the truth? The word of God says, know and be known. Do you know the truth? Do you know what he has for you? Well, I don't know. God doesn't speak to me. Keep praying. Keep listening. Keep those, not just your ears open, but your heart open. Because he can, he can get it here, but now it's got to travel 17 more inches to get here. That's where we sometimes lose it. We don't allow him to make that transition. Nebuchadnezzar, 
uh, and Belshazzar had mocked God and insulted him, he had rejected the truth. And God destroyed those who have known the truth and have refused it. Daniel concludes this sermon by stating that the handwriting was from the God whom Belshazzar had rejected and ridiculed. Belshazzar was a blasphemer. The question is, had, had he committed the impardonable sin? And that's between him and his God. Had he committed the unpardonable sin? Verse 25. And this is the inscription that was written. Mene, Mene, Tikel, Euphrasin. Daniel read, reads and translates and then interprets the handwriting. Someone has said that the reason Daniel was, had no difficulty in reading is that he knew his father's handwriting. Now, I recall at least one occasion where he wrote in the sand, these men who were accusing this woman, and he wrote in the sand. And Daniel might have divinely recognized that. And then this is different, but the fact that he recognized it, just like we recognize our father's voice, Daniel might have recognized the handwriting, but that's not, uh, that's not what it says. Mene, mene means number or counted or appointed and is repeated twice for stronger emphasis. Verse 27. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Wanting. Tekel means weight, weight or excess by the God who weighs actions. First Samuel 2.3 says, talk no more so very proudly, let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. He's weighing every action that you and I do, every single one, everything that we do, everything that we say. He's weighing it. To be aware of that. And when, when uh, we get to see him face to face, remember this? Well, yeah, Lord, I, I, I know I did that, but you don't understand my intentions. You don't understand my motive. Who are you talking to here? Psalm 62.9 says, Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed in the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. You just missed just miss, you, you know, nothing weighty about you at all. Nothing weighty about me at all. Not from a, a heavenly sense. Earthly sense, that's different. Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes, in this case, the Medes and Persians. Perez means division or divided, and that's between the Medes and the Persian. And here, Perezin, uh, is a plural of Perez, possibly emphasizing the parts of the kingdom and that you prefix in this word has the idea of the word, English word, and. So your days have been numbered. You have been found lacking. So I'm going to divide your kingdom, Mr. Belshazzar. That's basically what it's saying. And that's what Daniel interpreted. After reading this writing, Daniel proceeded to interpret God has numbered the Babylonian kingdom 
Belshazzar's number is up. God keeps track of every moment of every day. That's kind of scary. Really, when you think about it, think about it. Just, just go with me here. Are you a good person? Yes. Well, I videotape you for 24 hours. Let's sit down and watch it together. Uh, I don't think so. I got to do my hair. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> and you, no, it's not. It doesn't sound like a good thing you want to do. So it's like I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. After reading the writing, Daniel proceeded to interpret. God has numbered the Babylonian kingdom numbers up. God keeps track of every every moment of every day, and He determines beforehand the length of our days. This. We cannot change. Well, he went before his time. She went before her time. Not really. Uh, Psalm 90, 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A heart of wisdom. Not a head of wisdom. Not a head of knowledge, but a heart of wisdom. And for you who don't understand the difference between head knowledge and heart wisdom, head knowledge is something that we can obtain. Heart wisdom is something that the Lord gives us. So when he gives that wisdom of the heart, cherish it. There's so much, so much that he does and so many things that we take for granted. I go back to say even the, the, the breath that we take. We take it for granted that I'm going to be able to take that next breath. No guarantees. Babylon has been put on the divine scales and had been found wanting. God had raised up Babylon and now he would put it down. Babylon had not measured up to God's standard. Have I measured up to God's standards? No. Have you measured up to God's standards? <laughs> you say that, but somebody out here might disagree with you. Maybe they think they have. Maybe they're good, Brenda. Maybe they're good. There might be some good people in here. I don't know. Don't raise your hand, please. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the Lord Jesus Christ is seen walking around in the midst of the lampstands, which are the churches. He trims the wicks, pours in oil, or snuffs them out when they fall, fail to light. He judges the churches today. We may make uh, the grade or make weight by the world standard, but Christ raised us on divine scales. Our righteousness is not only insufficient, it is filthy rags. Only his righteousness will stand the test. Romans 3, 21 through 22 says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. God weighs mankind. God weighs mankind. He does. And verse 29, Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they closed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. At Belshazzar's command, Daniel was given the promise of reward. There he had spurned because he knew how temporary and valueless they were. It is difficult for us today in a world of materialism and secularism to get a proper perspective of the true quality of things from a heavenly standpoint. The world is passing away with all its fashions, customs, 
values, and lies. And we can all say amen to that because we are being lied to on a regular basis. Anybody who's in touch can't deny that. Lies. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. One ancient account alleges that Persia's general had troops dig a trench to divert and lower the waters of the Euphrates River. Since the river flowed through the city of Babylon, the Lord water enabled the armies to invade by where the waterway under the bricks, 18 feet square, 18 miles square, 300 yards high. But a simple tactic as that, lower the river and crawl underneath the, the gate, the, the wall. And this is what they did. And they reached the palace uh, before the city was aware. The end came quickly as guards, Belshazzar, and others were slain. October 16th, 539 B.C. Took him out. Belshazzar was slain. He had been weighed and found wanting. Verse 31, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Probably Darius was not a name, but an honored title for Cyrus, who, who with his army entered Babylon and seized it. Darius has used in inscription at least five Persian rulers. History uh, commits no specific man named Darius the Mede. As previously prophesied, Babylon met God's judgment, and God was overruling. And I just want to read one more scripture, and then we're going to finish up. At the future date, another Babylon will fall by the hand of God. Not going to speculate. It says this. Another Babylon will fall by the hand of God. Why does God destroy a nation? Why does God destroy a kingdom? Because they're ungodly. Because all the things that he's asking us not to do, we're doing. All the things that he allows, that he, he asks us to stand for, we're not standing. We become passive. All the things that he's saying, don't stand back and allow that to happen. We're standing back and allow it to happen. All the things that we know don't honor him, we're allowing. Well, why doesn't somebody do something? That's why he put you and I here, so we can do something. So don't stand idly by. Why doesn't somebody stand up to these powers that be? And let them understand that what they're doing is wrong. Well, that's not my job. Well, whose job is it? Well, it's their job. Uh, who's they? Who's them? It's us. The church is asleep. Nobody wants to hear that. But it's a fact. The church is asleep. And it's a general statement, and I really don't like general statements, but in this case, I'm going to stick with it. We as believers are not taking a stand for what's right in the eyes of God. We are believers. We as believers are sitting still, allowing 
the world to be as it should be. We are believe we as believers are not taking our rightful place. And I understand there's only so much we can do. But while we're sitting still waiting for them to fix it, the negative beat goes on. Last one. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a giant millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, This with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. You do your reading and ask yourself, what nation is he bringing down? What nation is he building up and why? And be prayerful and ask him to, ask the Holy Spirit to give you some idea of what's going on. Well, you know, I missed the news last week, so I didn't realize that God was tearing down a nation. He is. What I found interesting, this is just my personal perspective. He said that, then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone. And I don't know how many of you get a chance to read your Bibles or how often you've seen that word, but think about the context that it's used in. Millstone. I'm not going to elaborate on that. I'll let you do your own search or research. And it may not mean that to you, but that's what it means to me. What he chose to use that word, that very word in that context. A great millstone. What did he do? What was the deal with the great millstone? If you allowed this to happen, then you'd be better off just putting a millstone by your neck and jumping into the river. Father, we just thank you for how you blessed us so far. I pray that you would just touch each and every one of my sisters and brothers, Father, and I just ask if there's, if I've said even one word that discouraged my sister or my brother, Father, that you would just eliminate it from my memories right now. I thank you for the hearts that are here, Father. I thank you for the ones who are here in person. I thank you for the ones who are, are listening over, over the uh, air. And I just pray for blessings for all of us, Father. Show us what you would have us to be. Show us what you would have us to do. And I pray, Father, that we would always be mindful of whatever we do in honor of you, that it would be done with truth and love. So I thank you for what you've done here today. And I know that you want to do so much more. And I pray that we would get ourselves out of the way and allow you to work through us. May we be aware of your word. May we be aware of your will. And may we be aware of your way. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning king, we pray.